The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to In Discussion. Our guest today is well known as author of A Journey Through 10,000 Veils, charting her experiences in traveling the world for many years in search of Sufism and God's ultimate truth. In joining us today, Mariam Kabir Fay talks to the challenges and joys of encounters with the people and places in her extraordinary life's journey. Welcome, and my guest today is an established author of the book Journey Through 10,000 Veils. This is the second program in a, in a series of two programs that continues this journey. In her journey over the last four decades, she's traveled across continents seeking enlightenment, which she ultimately found in the Sufi path, describing her profound meetings with extraordinary people in the most amazing places on earth. She has charted through her memoirs an extraordinary road through which the beauty of peace in a delicate evolving tapestry has brought her to the joys of God's love. Sheikha Maryam Kabir Fay joins us today from Haverford, Pennsylvania. Welcome to you. Thank you so much. After our wonderful program uh, last week, um, we are going to continue. I think we left off, and I would like to start with this, uh, if we could, with your journey back to the States for a short while, uh, and 1975, I believe, your time in New Mexico. And I wondered if we could talk about that briefly, uh, about the mosque that you built there. My goodness me, that must have been an extraordinary uh, change for you uh, to, to come back to the United States after your incredible journeys. Yes. The journey is endless, and it just moves around the world back and forth. Um, so it doesn't break up for me between there and here. It's a kind of continuum. And where I would like to begin today, we just briefly described the meeting with the sheikh in uh, Jerusalem right at the end of the program, and we haven't um, quite explored that. Do you think that we might consider that? Because it was, that was a very seminal moment, and what happened after was completely based upon that. Now, was that time prior to or after the New Mexico? Before. Okay. This the, was the moment of really the embrace of Islam, the un, the unveiling of the, uh, you know, the mysteries that in the very kind of moment of awakening for me. Then we shall do that. That sounds absolutely wonderful. Um, and I know that you, uh, during this time, um, visited the, the tomb of the Prophet Abraham. And this particular part of the book is extremely uh, powerful. Uh, can you uh, give me an overview to start of that period, um, uh, telling, telling myself and telling our listeners um, what that experience was, particularly um, with the exercise of Salat, which, which I'm very interested in indeed? Yes, of course. Well, 
when I was contemplating what we might talk about today, I, I wanted to say that from the very beginning of existence, there is a decree that is intended by the Creator for everything, for every being, for each and every atom of existence. It has been, in my sensibility, willed and ordained that things unfold in a certain way. And in my case, I was very aware of that because I never planned where I was going. But God, the guide, the merciful, the gracious, beloved friend, continuously unfolded things for me. So in the particular moment I was uh, describing in Jerusalem, I went there to write a book with a group of people um, called Jerusalem, A Garden in the Flames. That book was not ordained to be completed, uh, but it was the, the doorway that brought us to the Holy Land. And uh, the first week that I was there, m- the, my mother superior, her name was Sir Marie, happened to be in Jerusalem. And we started uh, our, I started my time in the Holy Land on the Mount of Olives at a seminar with her spiritual guide um, about the book of Revelation. And so that was my first week um, in Jerusalem. And it was, I, I like the word revelation, and I believe that it has significance to me personally as well as, as collectively for us all. I believe that God is revealing his signs to us. We may or may not be aware of it. And so what happened um, when that seminar was completed, I was waiting at Damascus Gate for Sir Marie to, uh, to come and meet me, and I was in a somewhat of a meditative state, and someone came to me. Um, I felt the presence of someone nearby, and he finally spoke to me. His name was Hassan al-Sharif, which indicates uh, that he comes from the family of the Prophet Muhammad. Peace and blessings be upon him. And he said to me, he asked me if I was not Mary, uh, Mary uh, from California, and I said, yes, I am Mariam from California. And he said, my grandfather is waiting for you. So this was the idea that I wanted to convey in the program today, that in fact all the teachers I was meant to meet had the awareness somehow that I was coming, not me personally, but as an instrument of the transmission. They felt or knew that um, I was coming, just as he did. And in about a week, we went there. He lived in a, sh- in a he was the caretaker of a tomb uh, very close to the tomb of the prophet Abraham. And he had a zawiya there, which means that students came every day to both pray and study and learn and do zikr, which is to remember God more and more deeply through his names, through his attributes, and so on. So after Hassan brought us, well, first Hassan brought us to the, the, what we call Mazar of the Prophet, the Patriarch Abraham. When I entered that building, immediately I just fell prostrate on the ground. And not that I intended it or knew what I was doing. It was just the natural, profoundly natural thing to do. The presence of God was, was overwhelming, and that was the response that, that I made without even knowing that that was actually part of 
the ritual prayer of Islam. And eventually came back to some sense of myself, and um, I felt that it was a place of great peace, and I really felt the presence of, of our father, Abraham, connecting directly with me, that I was his daughter, that I was very happy to be, you know, the daughter of such, such a being, and that I wanted to follow in his footsteps. Then uh, Hassan took us uh, on a walk through very ancient uh, walkways, finally to the the zawiya of the sheikh. And when we arrived there, we went. We seemed to go down stairs deeply into a kind of, you know, recessed area. And there were uh, plants growing on all the walls. And I later realized that the grandfather, his grandfather, was, uh, though he was blind bringing all of those plants to life and tending them. And I did come to believe that I was one of those plants and that he had very deep gifts to give me and that's why he knew that I was coming and was going to entrust this knowledge to me that would then go out, you know, wherever God willed into the world. And he now he was, I think, according to what they said, a, you know, at a very old age. I'm, they say 135, but we we don't know. But the, his time was limited, and he was passing on information that was fundamental and necessary. It was part of his duty, just as it is a part of my duty to pass on this knowledge. Now let me ask you this question, and I'd like to quote a passage here. The grandfather gave me his bed to sleep in. I later realized that he did not sleep, but sat up the whole night, throughout which he blew on my head and prayed. And you go on to say, I was making a spiritual retreat for 40 days, alone in the cave, praying for reconciliation and peace. Could you just elaborate uh, the use of the, the 40 days? Yes. First of all, that was a dream. Uh, what I was describing in the book is that he had kind of a very high uh, bed, but he absolutely never laid down on it. So he, he put me there, and, and he was praying uh, for, for me and for all of us. And um, while I was sleeping, I had the dream that I was in a 40-day retreat, that I was told um, I was in a high mountain kingdom, and that there was a war going on and I was told that I must go into a cave and uh, go be by myself, in other words, go into a spiritual retreat for a period of 40 days. And while I was there, uh, every day a, a flower was put into the cave. It's without there being a person, I didn't see anyone, but one by one the, like, the door opened and the flower came in until... Uh, at the completion of the time, the cave was full of flowers. Now, you transmitted this dream to the grandfather, and you go on to say, having been immersed in a contemplative state, which I thought was continuous, I was not eager to get involved with the exercise of Salat, the ritual prayer that the grandfather realized that you needed uh, to travel well, there through. was one more element. The mm -hmm. element was that at the end of the retreat, and I haven't said the significance quite yet of what 40-day retreat is, and I don't know that I can, 
explain it, but when it was completed, there was a knock on the door, and a person came, a gentleman came, and he said, I am a messenger from the king, and the king is asking for your hand in marriage. In order to accomplish this marriage, you have to jump off a cliff, and in so doing, peace will come to the kingdom. So no. this was the dream. The dream that I told the dream to the grandfather, and it's at that point he said that to bring peace to this kingdom, the, I, the, the act of jumping off the cliff was actually the act of surrender, surrendering my life, and that the form that that would be appropriately taken is that I should bow down to the Lord, and that was in the context of Salat, now, the, what, the, ritual, the so-called ritual prayer in Islam. And, and why was it that you pointed out in that statement that you were reluctant? Is that because you were nervous, you were scared, you, mm-hmm. you, didn't, you, you didn't have an, any idea as to what that uh, process was for you? It's a very important question you're asking because people are, you know, hesitant and then something happens to some of us in which the hesitancy is lifted and the fear is lifted. And I think that in my case, I had been in India for quite a while, and I had been, as I said, kind of just meditating and, and feeling you know, very peaceful with that practice. And now I was being told that I should do this exercise several times a day. And I had been with other Muslim people who were a little bit more emphatic or, you know, kind of imposing in their attitude towards me to encourage me to do it, and I didn't do it. But when it came through this illuminated, illuminated um, ancient person, the light was so strong coming through him, and the sweetness and grace came through and touched my soul you know, and penetrate, went through all of any reservation I might have in my mind, and really the heart and soul became engaged in the awareness that really God was asking me to do this, and that in surrendering, in letting go, in jumping off the cliff, I actually learned to fly. That is, I learned that He was carrying me, that He had willed this for me, that He was asking me to do this so that I would be able to come back to him, to find the one who created me, in, and to do the actions that were, you know, most beautifully suited to such an encounter. Now, what was, at the end of this, the realization that you had carried through um, the whole Process the whole prayer process that giving yourself to God. When did you know that? When did it become apparent? It's an it's an eternal journey. I I find it every day. I discover this every day, in a deeper way. And but at the very beginning, the way that it was transmitted was so beautiful, so inviting, welcoming to my heart and soul and non-threatening in any way, non-oppressive. On the other hand, it was life-giving, you know, and inspiring. And I felt the presence of God 
from the very beginning. And you, you obviously shared this experience with other people. And one of the most wonderful uh, parts of this that I find so terribly sad at the same time mm-hmm. is uh, you go on to say, I was at least 50 years, if not 100 years younger than everyone else in the congregation. Now all of them have left this earth, leaving me alone the sole witness of what took place there. There is something sad about that. Um, was there a specific reason for placing that in the text? It wasn't sad for me. It was amazing that I was brought to such a gathering. It's natural and normal, and it's a part of the divine plan that when the time has come for the completion of our existence in this realm, we have to go. Now, what I felt in that gathering is that the people were ready to go. The reason that they were ready is because they were immersed in the love of God, that they really weren't even in this world. It was a miracle of God's grace that I, that I arrived in such a place to be with people like that before they left the world, before they returned to their Lord. And when I say that I'm the sole witness, it's not, I'm not the sole witness of the reality that they transmitted because everyone who prays as I do is experiencing something like what I am speaking about. But that particular assembly... And the will of God that brought me to that assembly was what I was commenting on, that before they uh, left the world, they had to give that knowledge to me, and I had to carry that knowledge with me. Now, in order to move forward through the chapter and on to the, the, the final part of this program, I would like, if I may, just to quote one paragraph, because I, I think it's quite amazingly written with such passion. Um, you go on to say, Such were the questions inspired in my soul by that journey, back and forth between uh, Methamy, where I learned about the healing power of love and the Mount of Olives, where I learned to pray. I had received a great candle lit from a bonfire on one mountain, there for the purpose of understanding who Jesus truly was and what message he truly brought to this earth. Now I was walking on another mountain where the presence of the prophetic manifestation was even stronger. That is a profound paragraph to me that I picked out of this entire chapter. Um, Would you like to expand upon that? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. The prophetic path is the designated chosen path by which the most merciful Lord and creator of all sent his messages to mankind. He chose the prophets as human beings who were capable of carrying this beautiful truth. The, the strange thing is that as beautiful as the message was, it was very often rejected. Most of the people rejected the prophets within their holy mission. They came bearing this wonderful message, and they were rejected. But some of the people were ordained or kind of inspired by God to understand that this message was so valuable and that this is, in fact, our way, the way that we have of serving God and of returning back to that merciful source. So 
when because I was guided to you know not only to Jerusalem but then to Mecca and Medina, and to more or less walk in the footsteps of those beings. And in when I in my earlier in this period of the journey when I was in Jerusalem, I happened to be living on the Mount of Olives. This was later on in my after I left. Uh, my first shake, I lived on the Mount of Olives, and then I walked to Bethany, where I worked, um, <clears throat> helping handicapped children and teaching them and, you know, sharing with them. So all of this experience of praying on the Mount of Olives and watching the healing take place where Lazarus was brought back from the dead, according to the scripture, was a, a sense of being where the prophets were, and feeling how it was uh, that they lived and how they were living within me and how deeply I, I was being called to walk in their footsteps to the extent that I walked on the straight path just as they did. The path, we call it in Arabic, Surat al-Mustaqim, that leads as directly as possible to God. And so while I was, I, I was learning about Islam and, you know, praying and doing zikr, and at the same time I felt not only Jesus' peace and blessings be upon him, but the sense of how many prophets, how many messengers had been sent to this land, and what messages did they bring, and how could I and others be, you know, submissive in the sense of giving my life too to the one who was sending the messages. Now, after this period, you traveled, I'm assuming, to Africa. Um, and you had mentioned then that back in this period in Jerusalem and Mecca that you had met these wonderful children. Um, did that lead you to Africa? Was there a specific purpose with Africa after this? There was a very specific purpose with everything. And so each stage of the journey new dimensions of understanding and love were awakened. And after I returned from uh, Jerusalem, I came back to America, as you mentioned at the beginning of the program. And I, was, I want to go back to that point because there were several stages before we get to Africa. Shall we wait or would, what would you like? You carry on. Okay. Uh, I'm particularly interested in New Mexico. Yes. So here we are in New Mexico after Jerusalem, and on my way back, I happened to, uh, it was time to pray, and the, the train was stopped for four hours in Bulgaria. And I had the, the inner knowledge that, it was, that I needed to pray. I went out of the train, I put my prayer mat down, uh, kind of between the tracks, and I made the Salat, and I mentioned this in the book. Suddenly I was surrounded by people and just embracing me and weeping. And what I understood was that they were all believers in God, whatever their religion was, and they were so totally happy to see someone bowing down and praying. And then I realized that I was in a communist country where prayer was actually not legal. So that was a kind of a sign to me about how valuable was the gift that had been given to me in the Holy Land and how deeply I wanted to continue to pursue the journey um, of prayer and inside the prayer. And 
to, you know, realize why this had been given to me and how to accomplish uh, the goal of, you know, that God had for me in teaching me to bow down to him. And uh, when I came to um, back to New Mexico, I reunited with the people with whom I went to Jerusalem initially, and that was uh, now his name is Sheikh Nuruddin and uh, Haja Nura Durki. And uh, so we were engaged in uh, assembling the community there and in putting to practice what we had learned in the Holy Land. And that was <clears throat> took the form of building uh, what we call we call the Adobe Mosque. Um, New Mexico is a beautiful land for building, you know, dwellings. And we built um, an area for prayer and gathering. And then we built cells where we each lived. And so that was, I mentioned that there's a word in Arabic which is fitra, which means the natural way, the natural way that God made things. And I said it was very beautiful for us to discover the practice of Islam that we had learned, you know, go deeper into it in the middle of nature where we lived in New Mexico. And so that was the quality of that particular period was that, the beauty of nature infused our experience of getting deeper into the knowledge of prayer, the experience of prayer, and the sharing of prayer. Now, when you were in New Mexico, how did you share this with the community? How were you accepted in the community, particularly as there are many Indian nations uh, in that area? How were you seen? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I mentioned in my book that there was one wonderful Indian um, person who helped me a lot to build the room where I lived, and he was named Henry Gomez. He was the son of a wonderful elder called Grandpa Joe Gomez. And uh, we built a, a fireplace in the room and simply meditated there, sat there, and that's, that's what I know about it. You know, we shared the peace. The, the you know inner dimensions of prayer, and we never talked about this at all. But there were other people living on that mountain. This was a place called Lama Foundation, and from that um, period on, most of my life, I have been sensitively uh, sharing the knowledge that is listening to the hearts of people, and then sharing the wealth that has been given to each person in a way that would, you know, be able for them to to enter into it. So this is what is called um, in Arabic dawa, and it really means calling to Allah. We become a da'i, someone who's calling people to God. And in my case, I feel that it is the most wonderful um, place that we're going. And if um, and so it's it's not a hard thing to do. And for the most part. Not everybody will accept it. Not everybody will, you know, want it or will be ready for it. But our, our duty is to be aware, to be open, to care for all the lives that we interact with. In other words, how I came to know you and anyone else who's listening to this program is part of the divine process. Now, when, when you're in a place like New Mexico, though, mm -hmm. having been in Jerusalem, mm -hmm. are, are you aware now at this stage of life of where you are and does it matter? Are you so now um, 
uh, in God's world, are you so immersed in that that really coming back to America, America it, it doesn't mean much beyond you are um, working for God, you are involved in this amazing life. And so would I be correct in saying that America is, is not in any sense to you um, shaping you anymore? You, 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 don't really, you, you don't really worry whether uh, – you don't worry about the politics. You don't worry about the culture. You are simply mm-hmm. on, on a mission and it doesn't matter where you are in this world. You know, I believe that's been my, my story all along, that something was much stronger in me than what was going on outside. And, and it was just unfolding stage by stage, this continuum of the discovery of the divine presence and of the, what we can do to bring ourselves to a state of true understanding, knowledge, how we can hear what God is saying and see what he is showing us. And in that sense, everything does count. And there's a passage in Quran that says, Behold the signs of Allah in the horizons and in yourself. Behold the signs in yourself and in everything you see. So living, being on that high mountain surrounded by, by expansive luminous space was was not insignificant it was a part of the unfoldment it was a wonderful situation in which to bow down equally when i was in afghanistan in the desert that was a wonderful place to bow down and if i mention every place that i have ever been since then each situation is another 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 opportunity to draw closer to god so in each situation, I have noticed that there are things about the world around us that are informing us about what the Creator wills and wishes us to know about Him, and that that's mirrored internally with dreams in, in the form of dreams, understandings, knowledge. And when you read holy books, when you read, for example, the Quran with a deeper and deeper level of understanding, you also then really understand what God is saying to you. And I want to say one more thing that I'm thinking of right now. The the beginning of the Quran, it says that the Quran has been revealed to those. It is guidance for those who have taqwa. And so taqwa is a state of the awareness of God. Some people say fear of God. Some people say awe. It can be translated in different ways. I believe that people have read the Quran, the Holy Quran, in different ways and interpreted it differently. And what was most important to me in my development is that from the beginning, from the moment that I embraced Islam, I was in the presence of people who had taqwa, awareness of God, love of God, and you know, consciousness now, of the divine. Now, so so you are very much involved in a, in a community, perhaps isolated in a way. What efforts or, or do you have in a place like New Mexico or in a place like Africa um, where you go out and you touch people and you transform people? H- how does that change mm. from being with people who have already uh, given themselves to God. Mm-hmm. 
that's very interesting. Uh, for, I did not remain in New Mexico too long, uh, so that wasn't kind of an absolutely seminal period. It was it was a transitional period, and I was then guided to Philadelphia. Um, I was actually on the Lama Mountain, and somebody um, came to me. His name was Ahmed Mohayadeen. Um, he's now the head of the Global Security Institute and has been traveling all around the world, you know, promoting um, nonproliferation and world peace. And he met me on the mountain and gave me a book. And he, you know, was really compelled to give it to me. And I, I received it as a treasure and an awakening um, message. And it said, The Divine Luminous Wisdom That Dispels the Darkness. Uh, that was a book written by Sheikh Bawa Muhayyadeen, radiallahu anhu. And he, in fact, was my next sheikh. And I was uh, destined, ordained, and, you know, certainly guided to to go to the place where that book came from. And uh, that was in Philadelphia. Uh, Bauer was, uh, had a center in Philadelphia, which, he, which is, still exists, and is, you know, called the Fellowship, the Baal Fellowship. And I was going to ask, I, I take it that the mosque in New Mexico is still alive and well? In reality, <laughs> it's not, to my knowledge. It, has, it became, it was an, a kind of intercultural center before that building uh, was created, and it became that again. Um, are, you, are, you, are you disappointed about that? Well, everything is in the hands of God. And in fact, one day, I turned the television on, uh, which, you know, periodically I might do, and I saw the buildings burning down that we had built. And there was nothing to say. It was just, that's what God willed for that. Let me, as we, we move on here on the program, um, let me move on to Africa. Uh, Africa was clearly uh, an amazing part of this journey. Mm-hmm. Could I just clarify with you, though, as a writer, uh, as a biographer of your own journey, would I be right in saying that the, the, the Jerusalem was possibly the most important part of your life then? Well, I'm going to kind of respond <laughs> again um, with the point that every second is sacred. And something very profound happened there, and that led me to the next moment. So, uh, yes, that was an opening, and I believe, I call myself in the book at a certain point, you know, daughter of Zion, who found my completion as a Muslim, uh, very close to the tomb of the Prophet Abraham, and very close to the mosque where the Holy Prophet Muhammad ascended, and on the on his journey, they've called the Mahraj, the night journey. So there's some reason that God, in His mercy and in His wisdom, willed for me to embrace Islam in that in that very holy place, which at the same time is is a place where so much distress has been uh, seen, has been you know there's so much stress and distress in Jerusalem until today. But there are secrets of the divine knowledge that, that are there, and that was what uh, was imparted to my soul. I and uh, then, as I said, I, I was then guided uh, to, to um, the fellowship. And in fact, I, I came as a practicing Muslim to the fellowship, and I heard the sheikh speaking all the time about Islam and 
the Prophet, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, wasalam, peace be upon him, uh, but there wasn't a mosque there. And I started praying right in the meeting room. Uh, the fellowship people didn't understand what was happening or why or, you know, what, what was unfolding there. And in time, a mosque was built there, and that is a mosque where I frequently pray and uh, find great solace. And so that's where the mosque is still existing that you asked about. Now, I'd like to uh, touch on briefly on Africa. We don't have too much time. Okay, this is um, where I'm with you right now. Now, Africa, uh, I would probably like to spend five minutes on this. Um, but I would like, again, just to read probably one of the most interesting uh, lines from this chapter. When you hold these children in your arms and feel the warmth of their bodies and their hearts, you know that politics, power, and possessions have no intrinsic reality or benefit. Mm. Would you like to start off that, that uh, part of the journey with, with yes. that in mind? Yes. Uh, I was guided to Africa after Baumheidin left the world. Uh, I met a sheikh named Sheikh Jay at a Sufi conference and went to Africa my first trip and I returned 13 times more. Uh, it is the homeland of my Sheikh, um, Sheikh Harun Rashid Fai al-Fakir, uh, with whom I am studying now intensively and uh, making the, you know, very deep journey day by day, every day. Um, I, I was overwhelmed from the moment I arrived by what you have been, what you described, how you read that, um, that that, and I mentioned at that point in the book uh, the figure of uh, Sheikh Ahmed Dubamba, radiallahu anhu, and that was a description of how, um, when, how he was very fearless um, in pursuing his mission. He was very fearless of the authorities in the world and, you know, turned only to God through the agency, through the blessing of the Holy Prophet. Peace and blessing be upon him. And this is what I learned when I was in Africa from the children and from the elders and from the abundant reflection upon the messenger of God, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Muhammad, the, the zikr um, that flows through the land. What I learned is that life is all about remembrance, um, all about manifested action, manifested love of God. Uh, and this is what I learned from each sheikh, and then especially through Sheikh Harun, who lives every day helping anyone, everyone, everywhere. And in my own experience, not only there, but in India, in Bangladesh, in many places that I went, I mentioned this in the book many times, that I'm always drawn to children, and that they're always kind of like in my arms wherever I go. I feel that the people, uh, the, the poor and the young and the needy are part of me and that I am carrying them with me and praying for them. And then my goal, my deep, deep longing is to find ways of helping them and um, to, to understand that, like what we said in that passage, that when you feel the value, when you feel another life as your own, when you hold other beings in your heart, as your own life, not acknowledging any difference of race, any difference of nationality, 
all beings are sacred and they're all entrusted to us to love, to care for, to know that we are part of a family and that when we follow the example of the prophets uh, culminating in the prophet Muhammad, all that he did was to help those in need. To What was revealed through him, peace and blessings be upon him, were messages so different from what people think in this world. The messages were about how to help the children. They were, at the time, the, there was a barbaric customs of burying girls alive. And he came to stop that. And the people, the poor have always been overlooked by the rich. So this message, this prophetic message was to, to make people understand that what God wants is for us to share the wealth for those who have more, to find a way of of making sure that the poor are supported, are given what they need. In, in, and we're in, still very far from that in this world. In, in practical terms, um, because it is a very sad irony that we mm-hmm. have such, um, uh, such a huge number of people in peril. Uh, mm-hmm. We have this poverty, uh, particularly in a place like Africa. In practical terms, given that we have this very greedy society, mm-hmm. what is it that we have to do in the future, do you think? I mean, we have to certainly look at a future more around the idea of, of uh, frugality. But how, how is it that we can equalize this? Um, this situation where we have such a huge divide between mm-hmm. uh, the, the Western society that, that we're blessed to live in and, and locations like Africa? Well, I want to answer that in an unusual way that I found also significant in the extensive periods that I spent in India and Africa that the people who have less all, very often have more peace. <laughs> yes. Yes. They're more surrendered to God. Yes. They're more aware of God. They're more generous. I, They're I, more, I, incredibly I, more generous. And I, and I do chuckle there because when I spent time in Nigeria um, on uh, filming a mission, it was amazing. The peril that people were in, the disgraceful conditions, the uh, being in a hospital in a field and watching people come in and watching babies and old men die in front of you. Mm -hmm. And yet there I was watching people generally with nothing have so much more peace in their hearts and even be able to give you a smile. Now, is that... that, And that's a profound irony, is is it not? Yes. And I know that I left... This is something you brought up much earlier. I left the world of consumerism seeking in my earliest days for an alternative paradigm. And I really have never come back. I still... The further that I go on the journey, the more love that I feel for the Creator and His creation and the longing for, a, for paradigms that will be useful and successful in, in sharing the wealth, in helping um, to realize that we are actually part of one humanity, that we are all interconnected. And so I would say that the first part, of the first step is for as many people as are open and can understand this to to grow to the under the knowledge 
that we are all interconnected, that our lives are interconnected with each other, that if you're walking down the street and you see someone in need, that person has, is calling you specifically to give what you can, give what you have, give your love, give, your, give a smile, give, give a, a knowledge. There may be someone who's needing knowledge and you have some that they don't. Or if you have some medicine and they don't. Or people are very often alienated uh, from themselves. They need love. They need love. So this is the paradigm. The divine paradigm is that God is the all-wealthy, gracious and wealthy in every regard, independent and complete. He has everything that is needed, but we're not turning towards him in the way that we need to get to receive the blessings that we can then share. Now, one of the major problems that we have in the world, which I'm sure you'll, I hope you'll agree with me, is the um, diversion and the conflict that is created by religion. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me uh, what was the instinctive uh, uh, direction or vision for our listeners that that took you down to Islam uh, as your religion mm-hmm. versus Christianity versus any other religion? Well, I'm going to go back to the original vision. There was an ancient man holding a staff and a lantern, and the message that came to me is, seek, that is, go on the journey in search of knowledge and search for that knowledge that will make you free, that will illuminate you. And from that point on, I cannot say that I made any decision about where I went. I believe that I was, I said in my my preface, I was like a, a leaf carried in the wind of the divine will. I was carried on this journey. I was taken from one place to another. You mentioned extraordinary places and they're extraordinary people. And so I was guided to monasteries in the French Alps where knowledge was imparted to me. I was um, guided to a beautiful Tibetan Lama named Lama Kalu Rinpoche. I was guided to Neem Karoli Baba. And I received blessings from everyone. Knowledge was imparted at any moment in the journey that, that poured into my heart. But what God will, what Maharaji said to me, in fact, is go, you must, you know, leave, leave now and go and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Peace and blessings be upon him. I then ended up in the monasteries where I had an extraordinary experience of feeling his presence. I then ended up in, in, the, in Jerusalem, where I continued to walk in those footsteps, along with the, those who came before him and the one who came after him. This is called the prophetic line. And the prophetic line, according to what has been revealed to me and to millions of others, was completed, it came to completion with the Prophet Muhammad. Peace and blessings be upon all the messengers. And that is why... I had to accept all of the revelation. That was what made me Muslim. Is the not, that's what made me embrace Islam, um, was the totality of the revelation given by the one creator. So in what I believe myself is not in separate religions, but it's in the total revelation of God. What does God will us to know 
of him. What has he revealed to us? And the only way that I could not be a Muslim, having experienced this totality, is to deny part of it. In the final couple of minutes, Miriam, we reach the end of the book. Um, we're at chapter 23. The circle is complete. Um, could you give me a very brief definition of that, uh, put it in its context, given your whole journey thus far? I'm going to go back to the state of the child. The child has comes from God in a pure state. And when we are not... <laughs> Um, before the, the time that it gets conditioned by worldly information, there's a knowledge within us that is informing us about the divine. And when I said the circle is complete, it's that whatever was with me in the beginning came to completion in the end. That I came to see what had been guiding me throughout all of, I say, over the, the vast, the mountains and the valleys and the rivers and the streets of this world. Uh, all along, I was on a journey that was guided for with signs being shown step by step and stage by stage. We call it station after station. And when you come to uh, the, the higher levels of your own development, you know that what it, it was given to you in the beginning is coming to completion within you. Having said, having said that, however, you do see the journey, you do see your life and our lives as a continuance, as a continual journey. And this is a terribly unfair question in this final couple of minutes here, but looking back, can you remember one of the greatest moments in your life so far? Well, the deepest thing that comes to me uh, it's, it goes between two dimensions, the innermost and the most expressive of love, the love of God that goes out to all the lives, starting with the inner journey. Um, so I want to say that I was guided in the, this latter part of my life into what we call halwa, which is uh, periods of seclusion. And as I mentioned to you originally, my journey began in seclusion. So that, again, is a sign of a completion of a circle. Now, the deeper that I have gone on the inner journey, the more love comes to my heart, the more I feel the love of God filling me, you know, as, just as he fills everything, like the leaves on the trees, the atoms, the galaxies. And so I did mention this at the end, is that when you see that God is present in everything, that he is manifesting this, you know, beauteous harmony and grace uh, that keeps your heart beating, that keeps the blood flowing within you. And I did experience this in my, in my retreats, that I became aware of how he had created me and how he lived within me and how my heart was filled with that. Um, presence and then when the time comes to go out of the retreat you see one by one the lives that he created other than you and what can you give to them and how precious they are and how much you care with that love that he gave you for them for each one for every being 
you know, and I say one very high and beautiful moment for me is this moment of, of having this interview with you. And anyone who wishes to call in and connect with us would be most welcome because that life is precious. Let and me... how, you know, my prayer is for everyone to achieve the purpose for which they were created. Let me ask you in the final minute... What would be your message to those who are listening, who see the Muslim faith as a uh, destructive power, um, as uh, something that is not good for the world? What would you say to them? We have a word in Arabic. It's called kufr. It means that it's covering up, that, that the truth is being covered up by something. So, uh, and, and it's a very, it's a well-known word that has a lot of different meanings. Um, in this case, what I believe is that what is being said about Islam and what is being done even more seriously in the name of Islam is whenever it violates the very principles of Islam, which I mentioned to you, start with mercy, are founded in mercy, the mercy of God, as indicated by the way that the Quran is written, that every single uh, surah begins in the name of the one most merciful, most compassionate. So when we see things that are, and I'm repeating myself, we've spoken about this already, but when we see things that are merciless, that are not inspired by God's love and mercy, in my own deep faith, that is covering up the reality which is God's love and mercy, which is the light of the revelation that God has given to his creation, which is the means by which we, we go back to him in such a way that he is pleased with us and that we are pleased, that this is a beautiful, holy marriage of, uh, between the creator and the return of the creation to its source in a way that is, as God has willed it, beautiful, peaceful, loving and god says to us that he said my mercy precedes my wrath mercy comes first so what i say for my to myself or say to you and i say to everyone who was created by the one creator let mercy come first let the light of god guide us to the knowledge of him and with that shaka maryam kabir fay it has been um an enormous pleasure to have you on this program. Um, what an amazing journey. What an incredible experience for myself. Um, it's been a great honor to, to share this with you today. And, of course, with our last program. And, and I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as I have. I definitely have. And I pray that all that you are doing and all that I am doing will be pleasing to God and that we will be, receive more and more guidance and direction, and that this guidance will be shared with all those who are seeking for it. And, and to our listeners, I do hope that you as well have enjoyed this program as much as I have. It has been a great privilege, and um, you can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, God bless you. Good morning. Good afternoon and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. 
This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.